0: Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. And every single one of these conversations I learn a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. Oh yeah, it's happening. It's uh, episode 10 of The Generators. Bam! Look at that. 10 episodes. Just like that. Banged them out. The DECA, Deca episode, I guess, right? That's what 10 means. And uh, we made it. We're on the other side of it. We uh, we figured it out. Insane. I uh, hope you're doing well. I hope you had a great weekend. I'm recording this uh, introduction in uh, Trans Comedy World headquarters in Calgary, Alberta, on Sunday, and it's another scorching uh, hot day here. It's been insanely hot basically since April. Um, I uh, I don't think I've watered the lawn as much as I have this year at any other point in my life. This is uh, absolute insanity. Um, I don't know what our obsession is with green grass. Uh, and why we pour so much water on it and why it must look a certain shade of green. You know, we got to have a dark lush green who started that, who started that thing that, oh, your lawn, you you got to have a lawn. That's the first thing. That's the goal for people to have a lawn. And then you, you spend the rest of your life maintaining this small piece of land. If you're a farmer, I get it. You're growing crops your livelihood that put food on your table literally figuratively i get that okay but if you're just an average joe living in the suburbs what do you care what do you care if it's tumbleweeds out there who you know i personally don't care but you know what you gotta everyone else is doing it so the next thing you know you're watering the lawn right just watching the sprinkler back and forth anyone else take complete joy in getting the the sprinkler uh, water pressure and positioning nailed right the first time. Anyone else, or is that just an over forty thing that you take ridiculous amount of pride in? You know what I mean? Where you set up the sprinkler, you kind of gauge where it should go, you turn the valve for water pressure, and you nail it the first time, and it's perfect. I mean, it's a sweet thing. I'm out there by myself, but I'm at high in myself. I love that. I'm like, I'm so that's the only joy I get in it. The rest of that and after that, it's like, ah, okay, here we go. Watching this thing go back and forth. When is it enough? You know. That's right. I just did a rant about uh, watering the lawn for three and a half minutes. Huh? Don't you feel like your time was well spent? oh <sighs> lordy, lordy. Um, I've been at the comedy cave here in Calgary all week, uh, working on some new material, and um, it's coming along. It's coming along. You know, it's it's one of those things where you have the ideas. And you don't know if they're going to work until you get them up there on the old stage and uh, you start messing around with the delivery of them and where you put them and whatnot and figuring out if it works. And some of them are really uh, taking life. Others are frustrating me because I can't unlock them, but I'm confident I'm just going to stay with it. I know it's in there. I just got to spend time with it. So it'll mean probably spending, uh, I got one more crack at it tonight uh, in front of an audience and then... Um, there'll be a lot of time spent this week, kind of looking at, uh, looking at it and seeing what I can fix and change and rearrange. And also you can laugh, right? All this done just so you can sit down and go, that was funny. That's why I do all this. You're welcome. No, I can hear you on the other end. I can hear you on the other end. You're like, Trent, thank you very much. And you know what? I accept it. And you're welcome. (sighs) Ah. uh next week i uh well a little over a week and a half i guess i'm back in newfoundland the homeland uh back gonna be in cornerbrook for a little bit doing a show in stephenville no show in cornerbrook but it's a show in stephenville on august 9th um then be gonna go into uh trinity to hang out for a little bit beautiful there never been there before so i want to go there and hang out and relax and then i'm gonna go on to st john's for a little bit to hang out and I go back to the West Coast and do the gathering in Burlington with my uh, my friends Sean Majunder and Mark Critch, and a bunch of other talented folks. I think Joel Plaskett's going to be there this year, and um, maybe Matt Wright as well. I think I heard a rumor that he might be there too. So, yeah, super uh, pumped to get out to that. Should be anyone who's ever gone to that thing said it's a great time. So I'm looking forward to that. Steve Mill tickets on August 9th are uh, are moving now too. So uh, if you want to come check out me doing a full show an hour and change, you should do that. Bailey Jordan Neal is starting to show off with some amazing music. Uh, so you should, if you're in that area, go uh, go check it out. I'm already preparing myself for when I go back to Newfoundland, how the steady feed of grease that's gonna be pouring through my veins when I get back there. It's, it's something I've been conscious of a bunch of trips home is thinking about, okay, you're gonna smell of smell that smells like home, which is the smell of deep fried deliciousness it's battered fish. It's uh, French fries that are cooked just the right way. It's hard to get a good fry up here in Alberta. I'm not gonna lie to you. I love it up here. It's fantastic. But they got to up their fry game. I mean, it's just not acceptable. I mean, the fries are too pale. They look anemic. I'm like, what? What is wrong with this thing? Bring it to a hospital get this fry looked at it's not it's not cutting it. You know what I mean? So but back home, fries. I don't know if it's cuz they don't change the fat. I don't know what it is, but there's a there's a Christmas to it. They're delicious. And so I go back and I uh I go mad on them. When I go home, it's it's fish and chips, it's french fries, there's gravy. I sometimes put uh, ground beef on top of it. That's a west coast thing. But uh I know that's coming. So I've been trying to eat well and take care of myself up here for the last bunch of weeks especially because I know um complete abuse of my body is just around the corner and uh I quite literally don't feel any shame in that, you know. So what are you going to do? Also, can someone explain to me why a rental car in Newfoundland is a quarter of a million dollars for uh, a few days? I don't understand why it's so expensive. I think I, I looked at a, renting one for a couple of weeks and it was like one price was like seventeen hundred dollars. I'm like, am I? What am I driving a Tesla with an extension cord the length of the province? Why is it so much money? It's it's a rental car, like I. I we know, I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't know. I think I might just get a horse. It might be cheaper to buy a horse and ride that across the province back and forth. That's what I'm doing. I just decided, thank you for letting me talk out a solution. I just figured it out. I'm getting myself a friggin' Clydesdale, and I'm blown across. Okay, we're not blown across. We're going to take our time. They don't, I don't know if they blow, they don't really get up to a fast pace, I don't think. But we're going we're gonna to trot across the province and you can lean on your horn while you see me going down the highway on the shoulder of the road, if you will. You know what I mean? You see a black man in a Clydesdale in Newfoundland. You're like, Oh, there's McClellan. There he is on the road again. Okay. All right. Well, I should set up this episode. This number 10 is a, is a big one. I, um, I've been really amazed again at how many people have been so generous with their time and, and who have agreed to be guests on, uh, on the generators and this week I don't know if they get any bigger than uh Cassie Campbell Pascal. Hockey legend. Canadian hockey legend. Cassie Campbell Pascal. Two Olympic gold medals. Um she's got another medal in there as well. I mean, we're talking world cha- I mean this is what has she not done in the game of hockey? I mean she's she's it. She's she did it she did all there is to do in the game of women's hockey. And now She's part of the broadcast team with uh, with Hockey Night in Canada, with CBC. And so we get into all that, man. We get into what it was like with that rivalry with the United States. She, she lets us right into the belly of that thing and lets me know exactly what it was like, which was so awesome to hear. And um, she talks about some of her university days and what that meant to her, which was really cool. And then uh, we talk about the other side of things when she gets into broadcasting and what that world was like. I mean, that's a big switch for an athlete. You know, you've been an athlete your whole life, and then suddenly, bam, you're you're going to be in front of a camera talking and conducting interviews. That's a that's a totally different skill set. So we get into that too. Um, we did this one via phone. This was my first crack at. Uh, doing one of these phone wise, I was freaked out about that. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get it right. And I'm not a tech guy. So I was like, is this going to work? And, and what if I talk to her the whole time and it doesn't record Then I've just wasted her time. Anyway, there's a whole lot of anxiety with it, but I managed to figure it out. And, um, if she sounds a little loud, that's because we were, I was messing with the volumes and, uh, she's a little louder than me, uh, in this one, but, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm learning this. Okay. You know what I mean? Give me a break here. But, um, she was fantastic and um and was so candid with uh in the conversation so i I love this one this is one of my favorites so far she was uh she was so cool to talk to and uh you get why she's so successful you get why she's done what she's done because uh she's super talented but uh, a genuine person too it seems so so yeah so uh I hope you enjoy this one cassie Campbell pascal um and yeah we'll uh thanks again for listening to the generators man appreciating the Emails and the feedback I've been getting from people that it's been uh, people have been really enjoying it and some comics too have been listening to it and apparently it's been helping them out and other folks in uh, different walks of life. So I really appreciate the feedback and uh yeah. So alright, here it is. Cassie Campbell Pascal. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Bye bye. down, good Lord. Baby got them open all over town. Strictly you don't play around, cover much ground, got game by the top. Getting paid is a forte, each and every day, to play away. I can't get her out of my mind, I think about the girl all the time. East side to the west side, pushing bad rides, it's no surprise. She's got tricks in the stash, she's stacking up the cash, that's when it comes to the gas. By no means Everest, As always she's got to have it. I'm good, Trent. How are you? I'm
0: really good, and I understand that you are uh, creating something amazing right now as we speak. Can you let people know what you're, what you're doing right
2: now? Well, right now it's noon Calgary time, and uh, lunch is required for my six year old daughter. So today we're we're doing a little craft mac and cheese. You know, it's nice. always a good staple around our house when you got to get something done quick, and uh, it's a lot of fun times, So. I enjoy it still myself,
0: I often think how many how much mac and cheese did I pound as a child like that was just i it was just a staple that every Canadian household was just mac I think it's what kept kids together literally it was the glue that well kept now kids. they
2: have like white cheddar and shells and you yeah. know the alphabets and like all these things that we missed out on so i i uh I definitely need my mac and cheese from time to time.
0: Yeah, I me too. I remember going off to university. It was basically just a, a cardboard box. I think one box was just full of mac and cheese. It was just like I knew I would survive. I was like, okay, I have that so that if I could do nothing else. But uh, eventually I learned to cook for myself. So I, I, I survived at some point. That's good. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this. So we, we didn't quite meet, I guess, uh, at the Brian Burke Targets for Kids event. That was uh, maybe a month or so ago, I guess.
2: Yeah. I saw you walk by. Yeah. It was like a mirage, you know. You just kind of walked by, and it, and you you had kind of just gotten your big gig, so yes. you know you were feeling pretty good about yourself. But no, it it was. <laughs> I knew exactly who you were, and and Rob was kind of telling me. Rob Kerr was telling me about you and stuff. So. And I actually had looked and, and saw that you you got your new gig, so congratulations!
0: Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited, and I, I think I was a little full of myself as I walked across that parking lot. I was. That's uh, all right. <laughs>
2: yeah, you got your big deal. You know, like you are a big deal.
0: I wanted a T-shirt with "big deal" written on it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I said, like, yeah. can you purchase one of these things?" You know. So uh, how hey, did you?
2: <laughs> I I still think I'm a big deal sometimes too, and then someone calls me Casey and then I'm like, okay, I'm not that big of a deal anymore. You know?
0: Yeah. I know so what it's, you mean. it's all good. Nothing more humbling than having your name butchered and also nothing more humbling than trying to be funny or clever around children who don't get it. Have you had that moment where you you think you're the coolest thing in the world and your kid's just like, ah, I don't really think so. And you're like, all right, back to, back to square yeah. one. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, um, you definitely, I think my kid puts me down to earth every day all the time and, I am so uncool at this stage in her life, so uh, I just keep trying to fight that good fight of being that cool mom, but um, more importantly, just trying to be a good one you know
0: yeah exactly that's a that's a full time job right there How did you so for folks who don't know this was a uh, it was kind of a skeet shooting event that we went to. I had never shot a gun before in my life till that day, so I was terrified <laughs> and uh i I wasn't great i I did three out of whatever it was three out of fifteen on the first one, and I think I had ten on the second one. How did you shoot that day?
2: You know, I, I, this is my third year at the event, you know, Brian Burke's second year and and Curtis Glencross used to kind of run the show previous to that. And I got to go and and see Curtis and his wife shoot and she's amazing. And I, I hit my first target three years ago, and then I never hit another target for the rest of the day. Um, And then the following year realized I was shooting with my wrong eye open. So once we got that corrected, I, I got a little bit better, but this year, it was my best shooting. I think I had one round that was 13 of 15 and uh, I was kind of a little bit lights out this, this year for some reason, you know, practice makes perfect, but I, I have never shot a gun before and, you know, grew up my, would see guns at my grandparents' house. They were, you know, sitting there in the corner and uh, thank God, never got asked to shoot one. But um, it, isn't that first shot just sort of, it's a cool feeling. Like you, re- you relieve a lot of stress in that first <laughs> shot, you know, it's like, Man, I could get used to this, but um, yeah, it was uh it's a good event and a good cause and, and Burke's a you know, obviously a great friend of ours and my husband's boss, so um, yeah. anytime he comes ask telling you to go somewhere, you just kinda of go, you know.
0: That's, that's right, grab this gun, go in the woods. You're like, Got it, not a problem, I'm there. Yeah. Uh, Come shoot guns. Okay, okay. <laughs> gotcha You, I you got know, you.
2: Brian Burke and guns and I don't know. And last year, he gave out knives as prizes. It's kind of scary event, <laughs> really, if you think about
0: it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's out in the middle of the woods. It's, but it's beautiful that area. I mean, when you're looking over the range and just kind of that valley and the downtown area of Calgary, I was like, this thing was a ten minute. I don't know, like fifteen twenty minute drive from my house. I'm like, how did I not know this existed? Like, I felt kind of in the dark. So, uh, I yeah, I want to go back and check it out on my own. So, it was a fun day for sure. And Brian does it so was. much stuff. You know, I think. There's this perception of him i think you know in the media and people who don't know him as this gruff rough character and he's he's unique no doubt about that but i think he's such a giving person it's like he's involved in i think he says yes to pretty much everything people ask him to do
2: yeah he, you know what he is a real special person and you know we know him on a different level of course and i've known him for a long long time and, and so too as my husband and um you know i've babysat his daughters and you know i know his other children from his first marriage and um, so we see him in a different light, and so sometimes we laugh at him a little bit when he gets a little funny and he gets his little, um, I don't know, persona, if you will. He's just a hes a terrific human being. He's so loyal. Um, he's just really good to people, and, you know, if, if he pulls you in on his team, you're going to be part of his team forever. And, um, you know, thats he's just a real special guy, and he's done a lot for women's hockey too. He's really helped me. Uh, you know, he came on as a governor of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and you know, I asked him if he could do that, and I asked him to always help us and help us, and he he never says no. So I, I'm I'm in debt to him for a long time, and you know, my husband being the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames, and Brian's his boss. Uh, you know, that was his first NHL gig, and and so we owe a lot to Brian Burke for our family success, and and we're pretty lucky to call him a friend. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Is, uh, I've met him a couple times, and he's always been. Uh more than generous and uh such an intelligent guy and just yeah i just he's a fascinating guy to talk to and spend time with but this is my last little uh complaint and soapbox thing about that event it's like so i got to that last round you know whatever you call it the the crazy madness everyone shoot this thing in the air at the same time part you know yeah and uh i get i get like valued in between rigare on my left and kerr on my right which is basically like two experienced hunters who literally could shoot with their eyes closed Regeer misses, I miss. Kerr says he hit it, but i got to be honest with you, Cassie, like, I don't think it happened. But I'm like, you know what? Kerr's kind of co-organizing the event. I'm like, what am I going to do? There's no protest form to fill out. I'm like, I'm just kind of stuck in the – you know what I mean? And I'm like, did he hit it? I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't. I don't – I didn't see it. I didn't see him hit yeah. it. You know what He's I mean?
2: He's a liar. You do know that, right? Like, he lies all the time, yeah. that Rob Kerr. Yeah. Um, for someone who's such a great guy, like, I, I could see it. I, I wasn't even there at that part, and I. I to, would believe to this day that he missed. Yeah, yeah. Like that's just the type of guy he is, you know. Like, everyone... and I'm saying this with total sarcasm, as <laughs> you know. know.
0: Rob <laughs> Kerr is one of the nicest yeah. people you'll ever meet, and the reason that we're actually talking now because he was kind enough to reach out on my behalf. But uh, it, it was one exactly. of those. It was one of those things where everyone kind of gave that look of like, really, and then. Just kind of accepted it, and we moved on, and I was out. That's all I knew is, like, I don't shoot anymore And he today. had his
2: dog there with him, and, you
0: know, he has the gear
2: on, the boots oh, and stuff. Like, you right. just don't mess with someone who looks like that and is carrying a gun. So yeah. good on you for just carrying on. You yeah. know, just carry on. <laughs> exactly. And let's look, just do it again, you, you know?
0: You pick another hill to die on, as they say. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I had a corporate gig that night. I got to get to it. I can't say I was shot by Rob Kerr in the woods. Like, that's not how I, yeah. do. I can't. I can't end the day like that. So I, Definitely. Just, I just drove home and, uh, but yeah, it was a fun day and I, I learned a lot. I like that event too, because you actually do get to kind of mingle a bit, right? Unlike golf tournaments where you kind of just stuck with your, your foursome kind of thing. Like you got to mingle with other people while you weren't shooting and stuff. So I, I really had a fun day with it. I, uh, I really enjoyed it a lot.
2: Yeah. Highly recommend it.
0: No doubt about it. Um, all right. So let's get into it. I, uh, was doing a little bit of research and you, uh, went to the university of Guelph. Did you, did you go to Guelph?
2: I sure did. I am a griffin through and through. Did you go there?
0: No, I didn't go there. Oh. I went to Memorial University in Newfoundland, but I put a lot of um, I put a lot of emphasis and on university. All my time in university, like kind of living on my own for the first time and playing. I played soccer in university, so I I really look back on those times fondly. Like that's a real special time for me. And I saw a clip actually where you were talking about your former teammates. You had a reunion. And everyone kind of got together again, and that, isn't that the amazing thing about like university athletics? It's like, you know, you you have these bonds that go on for the rest of your life. Like some of my best friends were people that I met in university or played with at that time, and like there's no value to put on that, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah my dad actually went to Memorial University, so I've been there and checked it out, and nice, great school, and not as good as the University of Guelph, of All course. Right. But you know what? We're done.
0: We're done. I know wrap exactly. This thing up. It's Shut over. Shut
2: this down. <laughs> Shut over. this down. Um, but you know what? It's It was true. Like, there was some of us... Oh, the mac and cheese is ready. There's a done my Done deal. No worries. Uh, there, you know, we hadn't seen each other, some of us, in like 20 years, you know? And, um, and all of a sudden, we're there. And I think every player except for three were able to show up and... You know, you kind of look at each other and you're like, man, we're all old now, but it was was so much fun. And we've been able to win a championship. We, you know, we didn't have CIS back then or or national championships. It was provincial. So we, we ended up winning in Ontario and we won with a group of people that, you know, I was the only one that made the national team, but we had so many great players and great leaders and, um you know, we beat U of T who had like eight national team players. So the funny thing is though, is when you get back together with those girls, you don't even talk about that stuff. You talk about like the funny things we used to do and the rookie initiations and all these, and we just laughed and laughed. And, you know, there's always one girl that remembers everything. You know, she remembers every detail about (laughs) everything. And she just kind of like holds court and, you know, makes it so much fun for the rest of us. And, you know, we just really had a good night. And I was there for the world cup and, and doing some stuff and i you know the people i was working with i just said hey i need this one night off can you give me this one night off and as soon as i told them they were like yeah no problem and and it was a blast and i i was just so fortunate to to be able to be there
0: yeah it's such a great thing and, and i still run the guys that i played with and it's the same thing we don't talk about the games at all or the battles that you had you talk about those you know those those times on the bus or in the hotels and stuff and uh it's that real that real team bonding stuff that i think is is what you hold so dear at the end of the day but one of the things too i realized during my university years was like you had to learn time management, like I'm trying to figure out, I gotta get to class, I gotta get these papers done, I gotta get to training, I gotta get, I got morning practice, I gotta practice after class, like, it was a real, I remember that first time of feeling stressed for the first time in my life, you know, like high school was, you kinda coasted through, you had exam pressure, whatever, but university was the first time where I felt like, man, I got a lot of balls in the air here that I'm trying to keep going, you know, like I, that's why I think it was so formative for me too.
2: Well, and I think the fact that you played sports, so you knew that if you didn't do well in school, was going to stop right like that's just kind of the way it worked and you know I got a lot of my silliness out in high school I was not uh I went to one of the roughest high schools outside of Toronto in Brampton Ontario and you know I i could have easily gone off the wrong track and you know my friends and I we just had a lot of fun and uh the rules in my family were you did well in school and you did well in your extra extracurricular activities you could pretty much do what you want and so I made sure that happened, and then I kind of did what I want and, and had a lot of fun. And so when I got to university, I mean, I still had fun, but I played for two hockey teams, plus I was, you know, trying to make the national team, and plus I was in school. And, you know, you know what this is all about. So, you know, I just got a lot more focused in, uh, when I went to university, and I always had to work at my studies, you know. It was just something that, you know, I, I just had to work at it. It wasn't like I was a 90 student, you know, just by fluke or whatever i you know i always had to work on it and work on it and i never actually made it to the 90s in university but anyway that's another story <laughs> and, but you know i always did well enough so i could play sport you know and and that was sort of a key thing in our family and a key thing for my career and and i honestly i think athletes tend to be the best time management because often you know your academics if it if it suffers your coach is like okay take a seat don't come to practice until you get your grades up or Whatever. So it's a real good time management thing that I think we learn from athletics.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I totally agree with that. I remember one of our road trips, uh, our coach actually had to supervise an exam for one of our players because he was going to be away on the road. So it's like he had to sit basically in his hotel room and do this exam while the rest of us were just goofing off doing whatever before (laughs) just on game day. So there's all these sacrifices and stuff that no one sees. I think people see the, oh, it's great. You get to play varsity athletics and look at you running out in front of a crowd and all that stuff. But there's a lot of sacrifice for those who can can still do it in the classroom and do it on the field or, or on the ice at the same time, right? Did you
2: ever make it to George Street,
0: though? Oh, did I make it to George Street? I have a uh, uh, a wing of George Street named after me now, Cassie. Uh, no called, way! It's called McClellan Corner. Well, no, I call it that, but you know what? It should officially be that. But I put, a, let's just say, I put a few bucks down there, put a few dollars. I could Georgia. see it happening in your future. <laughs> maybe, you know? maybe that'd be the the ultimate honor, wouldn't it? You know.
2: I think that. Was, hey, have you
0: ever have you ever done a gig on George Street? I've uh, yes, I have. I, when I first started doing stand up, I did a pub or two there, and uh, I think they were my first independent shows. You know, where I stepped out of the comedy club world and just went and did my own thing. And so, uh, yeah, I was kind of came full circle in a way, where I was being a goof without getting paid, and then I got to be a goof and get paid, so it kind of worked yeah. out well for me in the end. So
2: Life happens that, that way sometimes, eh? It's,
0: it's, an odd, uh, it's an odd little circle that we're in, yeah, for sure. So yeah. when, you're, when you're at Guelph, what did you study in school? What did you do?
2: Well, I kind of mixed around. I think to get into school, I, I got into agriculture, which was a big thing at the University of Guelph, and then I moved on to get into the arts program, and I took a little bit of nutrition, but I ended up uh, graduating with a degree in sociology, which... I don't really know if I use now. I think I use more of my nutrition classes than anything, but um I just think to to achieve the degree and yep. you know to go through those 4 years and and manage everything and get that little piece of paper um I think that's important and nowadays the kids have to take, you know, two or three or whatever degrees to get a job, but uh I don't really use uh much of what I'm what I'm doing so yeah. But that's okay. I got it. I got it.
0: Hey, exactly. I uh, I was a history major, so, I mean, I'm in the same boat, you know, and I became a stand-up comedian. So, I mean, come on. Where does it... I don't know. Speaking in front of people, maybe I had to present papers from time to time. Maybe that was applicable. I don't know, but I did yeah, it. There I, you did go. it. I, I finished, you know, I, so that's, that's a thing that I did. So when you were young as a kid, let's talk about early Cassie. Was hockey just your only passion and love? Were you involved in anything else? Were there other sports or activities that you were, that kind of, uh, you shared your time with?
2: You know what? I, I, um, I grew up, uh, pretty much soccer and hockey were sort of my two big sports that i played you know outside of school and and then you know you remember growing up going to school you could play every sport so i played volleyball and basketball and track and you know i did cross country and you could do everything so um i that was kind of always my thing was to play sports and um you know i got was in the drama class and you know grade eight i was rizzo in the play Grease, and you know i was always active in school activities and doing things and um but hockey and soccer were probably my two best sports and um you know soccer I you know made it up to pretty much as high as you could go and then you kind of have to make a choice between soccer and hockey as far as making it to the next level and you know I chose hockey and then I got to go to the Canada Winter Games in 1991 for hockey and I think it was announced a year later that we were going to have the Olympics so um you know that became my focus and the year after my first Olympics I quit soccer for the first time just because I actually broke my hand playing soccer and had to miss a hockey camp but
0: you know sports was a
2: big part of my life big part of my life and it honestly kept me on the right track at a you know especially during my high school years where I know for a fact I could have gone in a different direction and um you know but sports I always had to show up for practice in the morning or show up after school and I think it just really kept me out of trouble and um they're so important to me and you know, I hope my daughter follows suit. You know, I think she, you know, she plays a lot of sports now. She's only six, but I hope that, you know, she gets involved in team things. Uh, I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, uh, something about being a part of a team and you get to learn about different personalities, um, their kind of approach to things. And you have to be kind of all encompassing except that people go about their business in different ways. And, uh, I think being on a team allows you to do that, right? It's, it's, It's uh, how do I fit into this bigger collective, right? Which is uh, what you're going to take, you know, for the rest of your life. You'll need that skill for the rest of rest of your days, for sure.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 been a fun ride for sure. And you know, when you work with teammates, and no, not everyone sort of does things the same way, but you have to figure out a way to respect each other and and care about each other. And you know, you're not necessarily all best friends all the time, but you you just again, it's about respect. And you know, I. I recently just did a, an event in Saskatoon, and to get me to do anything in July and August and take me away from my family is really tough. And, you know, she called and said, Cass, can you come to this event? And, you know, we're doing this thing for kids sport in Saskatoon. I was like, yep, when do you need me? July? Yep, no problem. And you just have this bond forever that, you know, whatever they need you to do something or, you know, if you're in trouble and you need someone, your teammates are always going to be there for you, even if you haven't seen each other in, you know, a long time
0: yeah there's no doubt about that. it kind of it kind of endures mm-hmm. no doubt about that. So talk about yourself now getting ready to become an olympian. I mean that is a different level of commitment, I'm sure than what you'd gone through previously. I would imagine i mean you're you're going for the biggest prize pretty much. so talk a little about that mindset of going, i'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make the Olympic team and i want to be I wanna be wearing that jersey when the Olympics start. What was that process like for you?
2: You know I- I remember the, my first world championship was 94 and I had been cut twice prior to that as a 16-year-old and as an 18-year-old and then finally made it as a 20-year-old and, you know, was named assistant captain my second world championship in 97 and, um, you know, and at that point you kind of realize, okay, the Olympics are in 98 and I'm probably going to get centralized and, and I thought I knew how to train. You know, I trained hard every day and, you know, I'd work out with Geraldine Heaney who was uh, a veteran in the national program at the time and but I didn't know how to work out <laughs> so we centralized in Calgary, and we learned a lot about ourselves I think as athletes and we really became Olympians that year and um, you know I, I knew though that after those Olympics I had to push my fitness and you know just change my way of thinking in, in so many different areas and um, you know and that was part of just being young and, and being naive and not really knowing what we were getting ourselves into because it was the first time for women's hockey and so a lot of things changed that next four years but um I you know we lost in 98 that first Olympics no one in this country remembers that they don't want to <laughs> hear about it That's right. you know our men's team finished fourth and we finished second and it was a complete disaster
0: right
2: um but I learned a lot about myself from that loss and it was devastating I mean you didn't want to come home and uh you felt like you'd let down the whole country and you know we had a lot of veterans that You know that was it that was her one kick at the can you know and um so it was tough and i did some soul searching there's no question that that next six months and figured you know started you know instead of pointing the finger at somebody else i started to point it at myself and and i think that just came with experience and and uh you know, my career kind of took off, I think, physically and, and mentally from that point on.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting too that, you know, failure and as painful as it is in the moment, like when you can take the data and information from that and you can, as a result, be better and be stronger. It's it's a thing. It's a theme that's come up on the podcast time and time again. And it, and I see it a lot in entertainment as well. I mean, there are no, it's not like a, a straight upward rise, right? There's all these valleys, there's things that come out of the blue and and uh, challenges you don't see coming, and but if you can take that data and process it and rewire yourself, and you're right, look inward as opposed to blaming everyone else. Uh, you out, you out, usually you come back even better, stronger. Uh, and that sounds exactly like what you did.
2: Well, you ask any person who's won or who succeeded, one of their critical moments in their lives is some time when they were defeated or when they failed, or you know, because. I I believe you don't learn a lot about yourself when you're always successful. You know, you just keep kind of doing the same thing and plugging away, and you sometimes forget to kind of take your game, if you will, to the next level. And, um, you know, like I'll fail every day as a mom, and I'll, you know, okay, well, how can I be better at the next day? And, you know, it's it's just part of life. And and I, I find winning and success sometimes boring. You know, like I like the little valleys and you know i like the bottom of a hill and i like those things and where your mind and your brain and your body can go and um and if you can get up from those things there's no better feeling than being the lowest of the low and and being able to thrive and be successful i think you know those moments are just m- much more important to me than than any of the su- successes
0: yeah I totally agree it's uh it's a uh, it's a thing too that people try to avoid people try to avoid discomfort for the most part in their lives or avoid failure and at the end of the day that's that 's where the good stuff is ultimately you know it's it's painful and emotional and everybody wants to reach their goals every single day but that 's not reality for one and number two, the real fertile soil is in the moments when you don't quite make it and then uh as I said, you can kind of reprocess and and come back better than ever but um, one of the cool things too, that I've been, that's come up, uh, in a few different chats I've had is this idea of, of kind of, uh, mental awareness. And, um, I really believe I would have been a far better player back in the day if I would have taken advantage of some sports psychology and, uh, mm-hmm. what, what is your, what was your relationship with, with sports psychology? Was that something that was a big part of the women's national team? Uh, was that built into kind of your training and what you guys did? What's your relationship like with that?
2: well it, it was it kind of went up and down and all around and um you know as a hockey player i think back in the day you know you looked at sports psychology like oh mom you know and yeah. breathe in breathe out and and you know as hockey players the less we thought the better you know we just wanted to put our skates on and go and play and you know my first olympics our our sports psychologist was cal Bottle and he was wonderful but his daughter ended up making our team and so it's an awkward relationship when you walk in and you're like hey there's boss's dad and you know he's the guy that you hug and he's part of the parent group and um and so he was wonderful but I don't think I utilized him as as much as I probably should have and you know again I was young and and then my second olympics uh it started out great and for whatever reason the sports psychologist and I just kind of went in different directions and uh you know you probably don't have enough time on the podcast to to hear my side and her side and all the things but it just didn't work out and um, and then my last Olympics, we had one of the best guys in Peter Jensen, and he, I remember going to the first ever Olympic Excellence Series, and there I am, I'm, I'm part of the leadership group with like Mark Tewksbury, and uh, Tracy Wilson, and Brian Stemmel, and Susan Nock, and and I got to hear him speak to a group of athletes that we were sort of preparing for their first time Olympics. And one of my teammates was there, Colleen historics and she's a tough, tough Saskatchewan farm girl. And, you know, she's the whole, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in sports of colors like we all were. And, and she looked at me after he spoke and she said, Cass, he's amazing. And I knew right then that I needed to call our coach and say, we need this guy as part of our team. And that's what I did. And, and he's amazing and he still works with the girls to this day. And, you know, he's the only sports psychologist that didn't kind of make it, that I worked with, that didn't make it about him, and and he understood the, the power of laughter, and he understood the power of letting someone sit in their own disappointments, and he, you know, he kind of didn't intervene too much, but he also knew when to step up and to step in, and, and you know, we'd play a game the night before, and we'd be so tired by the time we get to bed at 3 o'clock, and we'd have to be back for a sports psychology meeting at 9. And he would have us laughing by 9:05, and um, he just had this great way of positivity about him, and you know, you, you just wanted to hug him every time you saw him and grab some of that positive attitude. And but it was a process for me. I think sports psychology. I I never really had a great relationship with a sports psychologist until Peter. And um, whether that was my fault or however the case may be, and you know, I definitely have to take some of that blame, and I could have been a bit more serious about it. Um, but once I connected with him, it was, it was like a revelation, you know, it was just yeah. like this, this moment of, Oh my goodness, this is how good I could have been mentally. And, um, that is one regret I have in my career is just maybe paying a little more attention to that side of my game.
0: Yeah. I think you're, I, I was the same way. Cause I felt like, I not I just want to play. Let's get the, let's blow the whistle. Let's do this. But you realize quite often you bring so much luggage, you know, like mental luggage yourself to situations. And it's like this should be way more fun. Like it could be way more fun if I'm not bringing all this weight with me and all this other mental garbage that you have. And when you're playing well, it's fantastic. But it's those times when, you know, for you as a hockey player, you know, you're squeezing the stick a little, you're going through a goal scoring drought. You're just not playing that fine line between performing well and not performing well is a, it's a small little, it's a small little increment, you know, and quite often it's just between your ears. So.
2: Especially at the elite level, you know, we're all the stars of our club teams and, But when you come to the national program side of things, like that little edge, that's, you know, you're going to either make the team or you're not, you know, and and we're all we were all so equal and uh, everyone was such great leaders. And so, you know, that that is something I wish I would have kind of taken a little bit more seriously early in my career and and for whatever reason, just didn't see a fit for it or, or whatever the case may have been.
0: Yeah, I hear you. It's funny you mention laughter, too, because I, I feel like some of the most successful athletes and people in life in general tend to laugh a lot, too. Like, I remember watching, um, you know, the Blackhawks just as they were coming into their own. And I remember seeing them on the bench laughing during the heat of, you know, some playoff battle. And I'm like, where do these guys get the, the nerve to, like, what are they laughing at? But it was this kind of quiet confidence, you know, like focused but not – not to the point of exhaustion. Do you know what I mean? Like there's that fine line of no no, we're dialed in, but this is not end of the world. This is still this is still fun. I think that's probably where people perform their best ultimately, you know?
2: Well, sports should be fun, you yeah. know, and it, and you know, it was great like, you know, to be captain of the women's team. It was awesome, but I had two great assistants who were completely different extremes, you know? You know, we had Vicki Vicky who's fun and she made people laugh and she was kind of goofy and that's the way she prepared and she was so amazing on the ice and then you know we had Haley Wickenheiser as our other assistant and she was just so serious all the time and yeah. you know, no one you couldn't talk to her before games, but that that's what made her perform and so that's that's what worked for her and and I was kinda of somewhere in between and and you know, I think looking back we we just had a great leadership group because we had those different extremes and those different personalities and and we you know made sure that we kind of connected to everyone on the team which was really important
0: yeah for sure um i think one of the greatest things in sports uh cassie is when two teams don't necessarily like each other so i want to get into canada versus a little team called the united states of america and what was that like to play in that rivalry like i I remember, like, as women's hockey grew in popularity, like, I remember going, like, I have to watch this game today. Like, this is intense. And I mean, like, this is – I'm not even talking Olympic games. Like, this was just like, oh, you're playing the Americans? I must watch this. Like, what was that like to be in as a player? Was there a real genuine dislike, or was this just kind of a – you know, it's just two teams going at it. What was the – what's the inside scoop on this thing? Now, give it to us. Come on. Be real. Let's go. You know,
2: it was hatred. It was pure hatred, and we – we didn't know each other then, you know, like not a lot of us went to college together like the kids do nowadays and our teammates in college and, you know, we, we I didn't know them and I didn't like them. I didn't like Karen By, I didn't like Cammy Granato, I, you know, I didn't like Tara Mounsey, I, I didn't like anyone and they didn't like me and, um, you know, it's just, you played each other in such extreme intense situations and, um. You know, I I think our program just prepared better than their program did, but they had great players and a lot of talent and, um, you know, could have easily beaten us on many different occasions and the overtimes. And um, so, yeah, it was intense. And, and I, you know, it's funny, I, I didn't really get to know Cami Granado until probably about 2005, 2006. We, we both played against each other in our club system and both were injured and, you know, had a chance to talk in the lobby. But I didn't like her. I, I respected her and I I looked up to her because she had been there and she was an amazing person and an amazing role model for U.S. players and Canadian players at that. And but I didn't like her. And you know I remember their team wasn't allowed to talk to us in competitions. And so I found this out. Well, I went out of my way to talk to them. You know I'd make <laughs> it so uncomfortable that you know their coach was going to catch them talking to me. And you know I just. I just kept putting daggers and throwing, you know, and that's just kind of my personality was just to kind of cause a little shit, I guess. And, um, but mean, I, you know, do, we didn't like each other, but do, I have so much respect for Cami and what she's done for the U S program. And she gets none of the respect she totally deserves. I mean, what they just accomplished with the boycott, that's Cami Granato 10 years ago. And, right. um, you know, And I, so I now look back, I love Karen bai, like what she's done and how strong she was. And, you know, I, I hated playing against Angela Rogero and now, you know, we work together on a few different projects and and I you know, I have a lot of respect for her and but it was pure hatred and you you just didn't like each other, you know, you just didn't want to have anything to do with them and um you know, it's it's still similar now, but I think they all know each other so it yeah. it's different socially I think, but um we had no interest in hanging out with them at all during a competition
0: so when they when when you found out the americans weren't allowed to talk to do you mean like during a game or like off ice what was what was off
2: ice like we'd be in the olympic village in lake placid and i'd go out of my way they're like hey how you doing and i (laughs) you could see their faces just like they didn't know what to do their coach was standing right there and or you know i i um i remember at the games in in turin same thing, same rules applied. And I know I went up to, there were a bunch of them sitting there, and it was kind of awkward. I walked around the corner, it was me and like 15 of them, and I just started chatting with them. And you could just see their faces, how they knew, oh my goodness, we're going to get in so much trouble if someone sees us <laughs> talking to her. And that was just sort of my little thing that, you know, I just could be a little bit of a pest at times. And, um, you know, that was just a minor thing. But that's sort of what. I enjoyed and and I thought it was ridiculous. I thought we're grown women and we can speak to whoever we want to speak to and um you know that was probably part of my lack of respect for for one of their coaches that they had in their program for quite some time and and I wasn't a fan and and you know so I just kind of tried to rub it in from time
0: to time. <laughs> well, that's what that's what a good rivalry needs. You need that, yeah. Uh, you know, the person who's going to antagonize and uh, and and chat a little bit. That's what that's the beauty of sport. You know, like it's funny because when we we're talking about sports psychology, I think it's really prevalent as you said at a high level, but also in those games that are full of emotion. Like when you already are walking in with that. That luggage of hatred for the opposition, you can you can lose your focus as a player pretty quickly in those moments. Like I've had that as a player playing soccer, where I want this so bad and I dislike them so much that if I'm not if you're not in the right state of mind mentally, you can quickly go off the rails. Did that ever happen? <laughs> Did you ever? Have yeah, that you know,
2: and I think I think there were many moments within the games where you had to pull a teammate back, you know, or you know, in Salt Lake City when we had all those penalties called against us. I mean you know, the, the bench was pretty positive, but there were times when teammates were just so frustrated and, you know, you had to pull their, their emotion back. And, uh, you know, uh, Colleen Sessorix was one of the best to me because, you know, she was a great defenseman and she just could not stand the Americans. And, you know, but she always found this way to, to keep her emotions in check and just just sort of not cross the line, but really close to crossing the line. And, and I think that frustrated them even more. And, Um, but I honestly, like I, I do, I have so much respect for them and their program and what they've done. And, you know, I've now got to know a bunch of their young players and, uh, you know, and some of their older players and, and I laugh at at how much we hate each other. And (laughs) yet they probably, if I knew them would have been some of my best friends, you know? So, um, but that was the rivalry and it was intense and it was ugly and it was every final and it was gold or silver. And in our country, it 's gold, and if you get silver, then it 's a extreme disappointment, so um you know that 's just the way she goes.
0: no, I hear you. there was a lot on the line back then, but uh yeah, the fact you can sit back right now and laugh about about those times where how, how like what your mental state was back then, like what you felt emotionally back then you 're like i 'm not, not that same person anymore <laughs> you, yeah, and you now realize you 're right that you probably had more in common with those people than you uh, than you realized at the time, so. Um, so you're just crushing it as an athlete, winning medals, winning championships. It's getting boring for you. You're like, you know what? I'm done, all right? And you decide to go into the broadcast side of things. Was that something that was always kind of on your radar, something you always kind of wanted to do? When did you When did you think that that was a possibility for you uh, on the other side?
2: Yeah, you know, I got I got some opportunities while I was playing. You know, I'd do breakfast television shows and fill in for the host and – uh you know, I, I, I did some work for TSN doing women's hockey that I wasn't playing in, and, um, you know, so I kind of dabbled in it, and I thought it was kind of fun, and you get to tell stories about other people. And I I love to tell stories about other people. I'm not great at telling stories about myself, and I actually feel kind of uncomfortable, but I love I love digging up stories about NHL players and telling them, and, you know, same with the National Women's Program. and And so... Yeah, I, I, I originally got hired by TSN just to do women's hockey, and, and so CBC kind of thought, well, she's, she works for TSN, she can't work for CBC, and it was a conversation between uh, Joel Darling at the time and my husband at a hockey function, and, and my husband was like, no, she can work for CBC, and he was like, oh, and I literally found out in September, and I, I did a preseason, I guess, uh, audition and it was uh, in Toronto and and uh, I had no idea what I was doing I like I'd never you know worked for hockey night in Canada before and um you know I what got me the job you know I asked questions and the guys gave me these awesome answers cuz I asked them to ahead of time and um But my producer said to me, he goes, you know, everyone, he goes, you know, the security guy's name, (laughs) they know you, like, I walked in that Air Canada Center, and I was like, hey, Jimmy, John, and then I knew all the players, and the coaches would come up, and they would give me a big hug, and and my producer, I think, was just shocked, because I think at that time, legitimately, people didn't understand how much the men's and women's programs interacted, you know, and and how much I watched hockey, and knew hockey, and was around hockey, and, you know, my husband was with Hockey Canada, so we knew all these people, and he said to me, he goes, hey, listen, you were probably going to get the job, but you got it, because I, he couldn't believe how many people I knew, and knew me, and he was pretty impressed by it, And, and then I, you know, went through some tumultuous years of learning how to be a broadcaster on the greatest sports show this country has ever produced, and it was live television, and I really didn't know what I was doing, and uh, I knew hockey, I knew the players, and I thank them every day for being so great to me early in my career when I asked them awful, awful questions. And uh, but it was a great, you know. There I was in hockey in Canada, and then I get thrown into color on my second day. And um, you know, I'm, I know I'm a lot better now, but I, I'm still an athlete trying to be a broadcaster. You know, so it's there's always you know uphill battles, but it's it's been a fun ride, and I I think I'm going in my 12th or 13th season. So. Oh, wow. I can't be that bad, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. You're doing something They right. would have
2: kicked me out by now.
0: You would have found something. There would have been an email, something. You would have been like, oh, okay, this is clearly not working out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a transition and quite a risk for an athlete to go from – from that side the athletic world to now you're going to be on live television and people don't realize like live tv is a different game when you're doing commercials if you've done tv show type stuff where you get multiple cracks at it and you go all right let's do it again live tv is a different game like you it's a different it's a different weight of pressure right yeah it's um
2: it's an intense 30 seconds of pressure you know like you gotta you gotta tell your story in 30 seconds you've got to say it in a way that is English and makes sense. And, um, you know, I, I'm talking to you, and I, we talk for a minute and a half each, you know, and we continue on. And, but you got to find a way to tell a great story in 30 seconds. And nothing is written for me. I do all my own stuff. You know, my producers aren't giving me the stories. I dig up all my own stories. And um, But it's it's fun. You get to talk hockey. And the way I think about it is, you know, I'm, I've screwed up about a hundred times probably in this conversation with something I've said, but I, I just try to be myself. And, right. and I think what the hardest thing is, is I was put into a broadcasting role. I wasn't put into a hockey role, like an analyst on a p- panel or to do color, you know, full time. I was put into a broadcaster. So like you have to bridge things. Like you got to throw it from Ron and then to somebody else and then do this. And they're <laughs> talking in your ear and yeah. you're just like, what is going on? And, um, so it was an adjustment, but it, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I really felt that I represented women's hockey, right? So uh, the the perfectionist in me wanted to do so well to represent our game so well. and um, But I'm over that pressure now. Like, now I make a mistake and I look and I'm like, some of the greats of the greats make mistakes. Ron makes mistakes. And, you know, Bob McKenzie and Scott Oak and everyone makes mistakes. I mean, we're human. It's live television, but it's definitely, it's it's been a lot of fun and it's been a good ride.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, how are you for time right now? Uh,
2: about 10 more minutes is that all right yeah
0: that's perfect it yeah. that works great okay. i mean i know you got to get to that mac and cheese i know you're probably just like how am i not eating this delicious mac and cheese right now that's probably yeah oh think. i'm
2: eating it while i while you ask me a question i'm shoveling see some that's
0: in. why you're a professional and you've been there for 12 to 13 years because you can time while i'm talking you know how much time you have to put delicious mac and cheese into your body. like. okay that's why so you guys write that down someone take note yeah. of that that's exactly. that's a professional
2: I just had a bite while you were talking
0: right there. See, that's a gift. That's a gift. You can't teach that. You can't teach no. that. That's a gift that you are born with, and uh, no one wants to talk about it. Um, I was funny. I was talking to Eric Francis uh, on the podcast a few episodes back, and what I said to Eric was, uh, you know, Eric, you know, he writes, he writes opinion pieces, right, in columns, and he's, he's, he's given his opinion on something. And I said, have you ever blasted a player, and then the next day you've got to go into the media scrum, and they're kind of like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> You know, they're like I read what you wrote and I don't yeah. think I really want to chat to you today um, for you. I mean, when you when you grab these players during, you know, during the intermission, they may have just had they might be minus five. Right. Like that guy might have the yeah. worst period of his life. And I try
2: he- not to grab that guy. But yeah, it could <laughs> happen.
0: Yeah. And you're like, oh, rough period there, Sydney. Um, you know, like. Have you had moments where you're like, all right, this guy's just, this is, he's not giving me what, cause you know, if you get just yes, no answers, you're like, that's a nightmare for you. Right. As an interviewer, yeah. you know, you need them to, to elaborate or whatever. Uh, have you had some moments where you're like, oh, okay, that, that wasn't what I wanted it to be.
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, there's two ones that stand out for me and you always give a first choice and a second choice. And one time I was doing a game in Detroit and my first choice was Marion Hosa and my second choice was Johan Franzen. Well, Marion Holtz had to do something with his case, so they sent me Johann Franz. And then the media guy said, "Oh, sorry, it's your second choice." Well, he says it right in front of him. Oh. So imagine he's like, <laughs> "Oh, great!" So he gave me like the worst answers. Like it was brutal. But then he went and he scored a hat trick. So I went into the dressing room after and I said, "Hey, I apologize for for everything that happened and you know thank you so much for the interview." And he goes, "No," he's like. I got a hat trick. He goes, next time you're in town, like make sure you ask me <laughs> to do an interview. So I was like, oh, okay. Because they're so superstitious. But here's something that uh, it, it put my husband in a really uncomfortable situation. So I, I got asked to do the panel one Saturday night and it was an Oilers game. And I was kind of ripping into Taylor Hall a little bit. And um, my husband was working with Can at the time. And, and they were in Arizona, I believe. And they were having uh, Olympic meetings. So Daryl Cates was there. And Uh, Kevin Lowe and, you know, um, I'm sure all the GMs were there and, you know, who were involved in the Olympic team, but importantly, Daryl Cates was there, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers and Kevin Lowe, who was at the time, the general manager. And there I am hockey night in Canada. There's his wife up there and he's so proud. I'm doing the panel and I just start ripping Taylor Hall. And my husband said, he just like they're all drinking beer and he just put his glass down and he just didn't even know what to say. And, I, I I can't say exactly what was said back to him, um, but because I you know it's, it's confidential and I I respect his conversations with those people. Yep. But not, needless to say, it was an uncomfortable situation for him. And so I I remember going to see Taylor Hall the next game I did, and that that's one thing I I have to say that I'm not afraid to do is, you know, I don't get to go on the panel and that very often. But if I did have to rip a player, I have no problem showing up that next week in the dressing room and going right up to that guy and just saying, hey, how you doing? And and, you know, face him. And if he has something to say, and most times they probably haven't even seen it, but if he does have something to say, I'm going to face it. And Taylor and I had a great talk about it, and he he said, Cass, like, you know what? You're probably right, you know? And he goes, you watch, and, you and, you know, you know. And, and I was like, wow. And, and I think the players understand who are the guys that are doing that or the girls that are doing that who actually watch compared right. to the ones that just do it, you know, to get them to make a name for themselves or just do it because they feel they have to and uh, I think that's one thing with hockey night that you know there's times where we have to say some tough things or we have to ask some tough questions but I think the guys understand that we've actually watched that whole week if not you know month before and and we put our we put the work in and um I think that's a big difference when you when you deal with a player one-on-one but yeah those are two incidences for me that were kind of like okay this could have been done differently but it was all good worked out in the end
0: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time, I think, for professional athletes as well, where, you know, you know, you have these 24 sevens now and there's cameras in the dressing room and there's someone in between the benches and social media to worry about. Like, it seems like a time when players have to be more guarded now than ever, you know, where guys have to worry about. um, I know one of the players said if they're if they're at a bar somewhere and someone comes up and wants a photograph quite often they'll say no or if they do say yes it's like okay yeah but you can't have that beer in your hand and i'm not going to have a beer in my hand because you don't know how these photos are going to be portrayed in social media like it's a time now where players have to be so guarded so i think when you can build trust with players because you've played the game and and they know who you are there's an opportunity for them to put their let their guard down a little bit you know what i mean but it's a difficult time right now i think to be an athlete in terms of you know your persona and what's out there about you
2: yeah, I mean, you could have, that could be your only beer the whole night, and someone will say, well, you had like eight or
0: 28,
2: you know, and um, it is, and, you know, that's one thing with Hockey Night, though, is you get a guy one-on-one in the dressing room, and he, he's going to talk to you, and and they know what you're going to say and what you're not going to say, and, and, you know, I think that's changing here. I think, you know, as a lot of us older broadcasters are kind of, you know, not moving on, but just, you know, there's a lot of uh, new faces now, especially with Sportsnet, uh, but if you can get a guy one-on-one, which often we're allowed to do in request, you can get some great stuff. And there's been so many times where guys start talking to me and venting and, you know, their frustration. And, they, and they're talking to me as a former player. And, and then I look and I, I go, do you want me to say that? Like, do you want me to tell this story? And they're like, no, 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 don't tell the story. And So then I'm like, okay, done. You know, and there's so many things and times like that where you don't say anything. And, you know, and sometimes I'll get the trainers. They come up and they're like, hey, can you tell this story or, You know they're just so excited about something they did for a player or or, you know players trying something new and um and i think that is the advantage of the brand hockey night in canada and i hope that never changes i hope anyone who ever works on that show understands that there's sort of yeah you have some journalistic responsibilities but you're going to get some great stuff if you if you're trusted by the athletes and um i i haven't met a jerk yet you know i think people in hockey are generally really good and really respectful of me and I've always appreciated my time with the coaches and the staffs, and you know the Oilers dressing room you know I sit back there with Joey Moss at times and Jeff Lang and you know even though my husband works for the Flames and we just talk because we all you know through Hockey Canada we have this relationship and you know I'm in their dressing room long after everybody's gone and we're just talking and hanging out and and I really cherish those moments and I'm I'm so proud to to be able to have them
0: yeah it's 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 all about trust i think you're right at the end of the day it's uh when, when people trust they you get the authentic person on the other end right and that's that goes for uh, a lot of different avenues of life well cassie i know you're a busy person you got mac and cheese to deliver probably to the community or whatever it is you're doing out there um uh what are your plans for the rest of the summer what does it look like for you
2: do you know my i'm pretty selfish with my time july and august so spending time at home with my daughter and my husband gets a a limited time off so we're heading to hawaii at some point and nice we're gonna really do some family time and honestly it's it's just about the three of us you know from here on in i have a few events here and there and but i i just really try and shut it down as far as travel i travel so much during the year and um so it's I, i'm a stay-at-home mom for the most part and i enjoy it and i cherish that time and um so that that's what it is for me just the odd thing like this that you know, you kind of can't say no to and you don't want to say no to and, and, uh, and just family time. So that's I, it for me.
0: I hear it. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything more valuable you can give than your time. So uh, I want to thank you for your time today. It was, uh, it was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it.
2: No, good luck with your adventures and, and all the best. Thanks for having me.
0: That's how it all
1: started. Like a whisper in your ear told them you loved them ran as fast as you could it's not to be taken lightly but then you never were your fingers bleeding your body aches from the thunder in your heart and chalk marked Like a good little soldier knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked Like a good little soldier, knew just what you were